This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show, a brand new week. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program committed to taking your phone calls and Bible questions, life questions, anything that's on your heart. If you will call us, we'll do the best we can. 210-340-9585, our main number. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, that's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can use our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. Uh, If you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the hands-free feature of your phone um, via the KSLR, the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now banner at the top of your screen and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. We'd love your calls on this brand new month and... um, We'll just kind of wait and pray that you do. Hey, um, yesterday, of course, uh, was first day people could be back in church here in Texas. Uh, I was a little bit surprised that more churches weren't open. I would be interested in any of your comments or questions or thoughts that you had. Uh, We were just thrilled to be here. I've been telling everybody I feel like a lazy bum for the last six weeks because I've only been doing one service. And yesterday we went back to our three services. But, um, you know, for the first time, Monday feels like Monday. And yesterday was uh, it was just so wonderful to be around the people that we care about. You know, we're a big, affectionate, hugging church. And it was really strange, you know, taking that step to hug and then, oh, we can't hug inside kind of thing. Uh, I'm sure we'll get back to being the church that we were um, in terms of all of that. Uh, But uh, things are just different. We were reminded, but what a wonderful joy it was to be back uh, on a semi-regular church schedule. Hey, because it's Monday tonight, we are going to have uh, uh, Pastor Ken's going to be doing his men's Bible study. You can watch it at calvarysa.com at 7 o'clock or you can join us um, uh, here in the sanctuary. And then a week from tonight we'll be going back to our regular schedule where the ladies Bible study, the men's Bible study, the high school and the junior high school buddy uh, Bible studies will all be back on their regular time. So we're slowly getting back into our regular groove here, and that's exciting for me. Okay, let me get to some questions while we wait for your phone calls. Um, my first one comes from Debbie. Um, she says, in Daniel one eight, he asked the chief official, 
if he could not do whatever would separate him from God. But in today's age, it's do or die. So how would you suggest we tell others what God wants us to do and how to do it? When I got fired from my job for talking about God, I wasn't sorry for doing it, and I never felt I wasn't going to do it again, even though a lot of people tried to persuade me to not do it again. But going back to the situation I'm in today, it does bother me. I'm not starving or living on the streets. I found food for my cat and my dog. So how should we tell others that God wants us to do those things in the midst of all of this corona stuff? Uh, Debbie, you know, this is a question that we're going to deal with, I think. And and you referred to my message yesterday in Daniel chapter 1, verse 8. But um, I I think this is something that we're going to have to face. And as Christians, we've got to decide ahead of time. We've got to decide that we're going to stand for Christ. We're not going to let people talking talk us out about being uh, uh, vocal for Jesus. Uh, we're going to continue to do the right thing. We're going to continue to live our lives um, as lights for the rest of the world. And if people don't like it, and in your case you lost a job for doing it, um, I think the only thing I would tell you is um, on work time, don't talk about the Lord. But on lunchtime, break time, before work and right after work, you talk about Jesus all you want. It's amazing what the people in this world will talk about and be and do so proudly. They'll talk about their sin. They'll talk about uh, all the things that interest them. But one Christian says something about God and people get really upset with us. I think we've got to decide, like Peter in the book of Acts, uh, when he was ordered not to speak any longer in this name, of course, the name of Jesus. And he just said to them, he said, you know, you decide what is right in the eyes of God to do what you say or to do what God says. As for me, I cannot stop speaking about this name. So I think that's just one of the things that we're going to have to understand. We're always going to catch some flack. We've got to be willing to pay the price. We've been a little spoiled in this country. We've got to be willing to pay the price. And every one thing you said uh, in this question that is, uh, I think, really important is that everything now is do or die. I mean, there's no middle ground. Uh, but, but for Christians, we have to remember there can be no middle ground for us as well. I'm proud of you for speaking up about the Lord. So you keep on doing it. Thanks a lot for the question, Debbie. Let's go to our friend from Seguin, Ruben, on line one. Ruben, thanks for calling. I've been worried about you. You doing okay? God bless you, Pastor. Uh, I, I've i been doing okay these past three weeks. Uh, I almost died. Uh, I have a testimony, and, and I will make it short if you will allow me to say it. Okay. Um, three weeks ago, I was put in a hospital here in Seguin, uh, because I had a very uh, simple uh, small bowel obstruction with the hernia. And uh, when I went into surgery here, things went out of control really, really fast. Uh, I ended up in the ICU. Uh, I had to get two surgeries here in Seguin. The second surgery is when I my heart stopped. Mm. Um they had to send me to Metropolitan Hospital in San Antonio. Um, I didn't realize where I was until after the fact that that, that they uh, did two more surgeries on me. Uh, one was to fix what 
Dean had done wrong in my oh boy. yeah in the first original small bowel obstruction and hernia to fix what they had done wrong and then to fix my heart um, so uh, that's when they had to resuscitate me twice was here in Metropolitan Hospital here in San Antonio um, but praise be to God praise be to God that I made it that the Lord uh, wasn't ready to take me he was not ready to take me um, the only thing uh, is uh, during the last surgery that I had when I went under uh, the anesthesiologist did not put me fully under and oh, for yeah for the first 45 minutes Pastor Ron, of that surgery I felt every single cut huh. every single inch of everything I oh, felt Ruben, you're making me hurt I felt everything and I was screaming I was trying to move and then I started crying on the inside and I was like Lord please Lord what's going on Father please Father God what's going on what's going on and this was 45 minutes into the surgery uh, only later it was only later after the doctor read the report to me and I got my hands on the report that I found out that it was 45 minutes into the surgery when the doctor pulled the the uh, the covering over my face because they put a cover over your face so that blood or whatever won't get on you he pulled it off over my face and he saw that I was awake and I had huge tears in my eyes and he was like he was like oh my god Mr. Vela I am so sorry you're still awake and after that is when I was knocked out and got out of surgery and uh, needless to say uh, it it uh, it was a horrible experience a horrible experience that I would not wish on anyone and uh, I didn't ask God why. I didn't ask him. I just <laughs> I just said, Lord, you allowed me to go through this for testimony, then I'm going to say it. Uh I'm uh it's I've only been out for oh that actually got me a little bit nauseous saying that, but <laughs> I've only been out a week and a day. Um my stomach is completely completely tore up from the surgery. Mm. Um, but I thank God. I, I thank God. I do not complain. Um, um, do I want to go through it again? No. <laughs> no. Right, I but you're home. But you're home now, Ruben. Yes, I am home. I am home. Thank okay. God. I, I am home. I am recovering. Uh, I have nurses coming Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays because I have this thing on me called a wound vac. They left uh, yeah. a portion of my wound open, and they have a wound vac. And then the 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 long cut that they did to put the hernia mesh inside of me to correct what was done wrong in Seguin, which is a very it's a very huge mesh. Uh, that one they left it's they stapled it, so it's been healing well. I've been doing well. 
other than uh, um, the abdomen is the absolute worst place to get surgery because we don't realize how many muscles we actually use a day to, to uh, that our abdomen uses every day. I mean, we use we use it a lot. We use it to laugh, to cough, to talk, to sing, to smile, to to do a lot of things. We never, I never realized how much. But uh, yes, sir, I am home. But okay. I just want to thank God. Uh, um, had I had a chance to call you, I would have. But I was so out of it up until I think Friday is when I finally felt strong enough to like get on a phone or do something. But, but but by the time that happened, it was late in the afternoon and and I, I couldn't get a hold of you. So you know, I called. <laughs> I said, "Well, I need to call Pastor Ron today because I haven't talked to him in like four weeks." And yeah, my goodness. Well, uh, we I was worried, and and uh, I'm I'm grateful that you called. But Reuben, I'm I'm just aghast that you had to go through such a such a terrible, terrible ordeal. And I will even be praying for you more. You know, we got to meet one of these days face to face. I've been praying for you so much over the yeah, years. I know. But uh, God bless you, and I'll keep yes, you in my prayers, and you. you keep us posted how you're doing, okay? I will do it, and thank you for letting me share this, and keep me in prayer. Okay. Thank you, sir. You, you got it, Ruben. Thank you very, very much. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions, or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. And um, you in the audience, please keep Ruben in your prayers. He has had... About as bad as three, three and a half years um, as as anybody I know. Um, and um, just just pray for a break. Pray for some mercy and and uh, and some rest as he is recovering. Here is a question from Warren. Um, Pastor Ron, I know you've said you don't believe in prophets, but for those of us who do, how should we react when one of the prophecies is wrong? Do you, and he's talking about me personally, do you consider anything someone who claims to be a prophet or apostle says uh, in the chance they might be speaking for God? Warren, here's the whole thing. A prophet, if he was a re- or she was a real prophet, could not be wrong. God's never wrong. And this is the thing that I don't understand. People who say that they believe in prophets and then they entertain these prophecies that uh, are wrong, they're inaccurate, they don't come to pass, uh, that ought to to instruct you, Warren, uh, that, that nobody should listen to anybody who claims to be a prophet. There are no prophets today. There are no apostles today in the official sense, like Paul and Peter and the others. And so the minute somebody comes to you and, de- and, and declares they're a prophet, you know that they're going to be wrong. Because they're wrong. Why would we expose ourselves to anything? The, 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 the minute anybody comes to me and says, uh, I'm a prophet, thus saith the Lord, I, I cut them off because I just don't need to hear. You know, Paul and I were at breakfast one day during this quarantine and um, we're putting some stuff in a trash. We're eating in the car and we're putting some stuff in the trash and the guy starts waving us down and he's a homeless guy there and he was a nice man so I have no problem with him but as we were speaking to him he said you know I'm the prophet Jeremiah and and you know what he was no more Jeremiah than I am 
and the people who come to you, Warren, and again, for you say, you say that you do believe in prophets. You're setting yourself up for trouble. You're setting yourself up. And all, all I can say to you is that to consider anything um, anybody says who is demonstrably false in their teaching or in their proclamations is to give the enemy a chance to destroy you. So Warren, please, please, please be just a little more careful about who you listen to. Let's go to uh, San Antonio. Jamie on line one. Jamie, thanks for calling. You're on the air. I'm Jimmy. That's cool. <laughs> oh, Jimmy. Okay. I got Jamie on my screen. That's us. Don't worry about it. Hey, I was going to tell you, um, oh, I want to meet Ruben one day, too. That was an awesome testimony. But uh, I ask, you were preaching yesterday uh, that we're going to go into a world or something that, something like, I was listening to you, that Christians, we're going to go into this world that it's going to be against us. I know that's going to happen. Right? Is that what you're yep. saying? Yeah. Um, Jimmy, I was uh, likening um, what's going to happen after this or as we emerge from this uh, quarantine uh, to to what Noah would, would have entered into. You know, yeah. Noah was 377 yeah. days stuck in the ark, he and his family. And when they came out, they had no idea what kind of world it was going to be. It was completely different. They were by themselves. And uh, what I was telling the church, and I mean this not for Calvary Chapel, but just for the church in general, is that we're entering a world that we've not known, especially here in the West. We've not known real persecution. We've not known the kind of opposition that we're going to encounter. And, and we've got to be those men and women who will, will go into this different world where, where we face persecution, where we face opposition. And we've got to have decided beforehand that we're going to stand for Jesus. So, Jimmy, that was the point of the message. I, I don't often do a special message, but I thought after six weeks plus of quarantine, not being able to meet together, uh, that was what the Lord wanted me to share. And I think we need to be ready. I think we, we need to toughen up, Jimmy. I know. I know. You're right. You're right. And we have to have strength to do it. And only God can can't compromise. We no. can't compromise anymore. You know, Jimmy, I don't know if you listened to the whole message that I did yesterday, but one of the things that that um, um, I told our church, and I'm talking now specifically about Calvary Chapel, is we can never be the same church we were. If we're going into a completely new world and we're going to face um, obstacles, trials, and tests like we haven't faced before, uh, we can't come back and just be okay with being um, just being a church. We, we've got to accept the responsibility to go out and be the church and deliver the message that we're in the last days, that Jesus is coming. And the, the Christians, Jimmy, who are not uh, going to toughen up, who aren't going to do it, are going to find it almost impossible to assimilate into this world. And I think that's what I meant when I said that the, the Lord is going to use this coronavirus to, uh, to shake up his church. We've got to decide whose side we're on. We've got to decide who we serve. And uh, if we're not willing to take a stand for Christ out in the world, I think we're going to get lost. I think we're going to get swallowed a little bit. So that was the point of the message yesterday, Jimmy. Yes, sir. We'll be put in jail like Paul. 
Thank you. Sir. And keep, keep yes, praying sir. for Reuben. Thank you. I will. God bless. Thank you. Bye. Uh-huh. Yesterday's message was not an easy one to give. You know, when you've been away from your people physically now, we've been continuing with the online studies. But, um, you know, you, you, you want to encourage and you want to strengthen them. And uh, the message that the Lord gave me yesterday um, was not an easy message here. I had one of the ladies who I love with all of my heart here at the church. She called me after first service and she said, I hope you're wrong. And I could look in her eyes and, and see that she thought, well, I hope you're wrong, but I, I'm pretty sure you're not. So we just have to be ready. We've really got to be ready. Let's go to Antoinette from San Antonio online too. Antoinette, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hey, Papa Rob, we miss you. Oh, um, you have no idea how much <laughs> I miss you. How are you doing? We're doing good. Um, how are my so kids doing? I'm, they're doing good. Everybody's good. Everyone's healthy. Uh, we're good. blessed. Um, good. I I have a question. So I've been okay. kind of just like, I guess, um, I don't know, just like praying, and I feel like the Lord has laid the word uh, quiet on my heart. And so... Using that, if one wanted to start like um, like a topical Bible study, so like if I wanted to delve more into the Bible about maybe what the Lord is trying to tell me, how would I do that? So like, how would I start um, like a personal Bible study um, on the word quiet? And I will hang up and listen to you online. Love you. Oh, uh, thank you, Antoinette. We love you guys too. And please hug and kiss those babies for me and tell them how much I miss them. I miss them every Sunday. Um, you know, I, the place I would start, uh, Antoinette, and I mentioned this in, in the Bible study that I did yesterday, uh, I would start with all of the times, if you, you've got a computer program, uh, with, with an electronic concordance, uh, just put the times where it says, peace be still, just peace be still and, 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 um, and, and then just follow through and then study that. Now, if you have a chain reference Bible, then I think it would also be beneficial for you to reference throughout the entire New Testament all the places where Jesus says, peace be still. The other one I would add, Antoinette, is do not be afraid or do not worry. And I think sometimes we get so busy with worry, especially now, I talked about this yesterday, we're afraid, people are afraid. And uh, I think it's really hard to be quiet and listen for the Lord when we got all of these things rattling around in our brains. So the place I would start is go to your computer program, uh, hit the concordance, put peace be still, uh, or do not worry, or do not be afraid, and sort of follow those things through. Now, never lose the context of the passage that you're in. But I think that's going to give you enough to really dig into. And what will happen is that the Holy Spirit will really meet you in the course of this. Don't be impatient, but but read each passage and, and, the, and the context around it several times and go on to the next one. And I think as you are diligent in pursuing this, I really believe the Holy Spirit will sort of fill in the details for you. Now, I'm not a big topical study guy, but um, there are some things when God's put something on my heart. Uh, Antoinette, I don't know if you've been watching online, but Paula um, um, during the first three weeks of the quarantine, um, the, the phrase that God was speaking to her was, for such a time as this. And so she's been really digging in into that. So I think if you just take those 
um, uh, scriptures where Jesus is telling us, peace be still. The one I talked about yesterday was uh, when um, the, the, the disciples and Jesus had finished a full day of ministry, then they were going to go across the Sea of Galilee uh, to, to uh, uh, Capernaum. And uh, there'd be another day of ministry the next day. But he told his disciples, let's go to the other side. And, and out of nowhere, all of a sudden, a storm came up. A furious storm came up with no warning. And these were professional fishermen, and they were terrified. Don't you care if we're going to drown? They said the whole time, Antoinette, Jesus was sleeping in the stern of the boat. Below deck, he was asleep while everybody else was worrying about drowning. And since the only quiet or the only peace we can have comes from trusting him, that's what active faith is, trusting him every day. We need to rest with Jesus. He'll speak to our hearts. When he woke up, he calmed the seas and the wind instantly. And before you knew it, he looked at and said, Have you no faith? I, I'm excited for you, Antoinette. I think that's a good thing. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in the Monday program. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. This is the Word to Stand Up for Life. We'll be back in two minutes. time to call into the word to stand on for life no problem if you've got questions you can email them to pastor ron at pastor ron kslr at gmail.com that's pastor ron kslr at gmail.com Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the program, 340-9585. My producer just got a text from Paula, and I'm supposed to remind you that just tonight, normally our men's and women's Bible studies are separated. But just tonight, Pastor Ken's Bible study in the book of Acts, and he's teaching Ananias and Sapphira, which is a great follow-up to the study that I did yesterday. Uh, But that's a study that's open to anyone who wants to come. So men, women, you are more than welcome. That Bible study starts at 7 o'clock here in the sanctuary. Uh, And if you can't make it out to the sanctuary, then you can watch it at calvarysa.com. Let me go to a question from Jason. Uh, I believe the entire Bible is true, but how do we decide which parts of the Old Testament we choose to believe in while rejecting others? Well, Jason, if the whole Bible is true, we don't reject any part of the Old Testament. That's really important. You know, um, we, we get this as Christians all the time. Well, well, you, you say homosexuality is an abomination, uh, yet you eat shellfish. So you thought some parts would keep the others. No, what we have to do is find out to whom the author is speaking, the context of the passage. And so it's all true. The law, the entirety of the law was true for Jews. 
Jesus fulfilled the law. That doesn't mean the law wasn't true. The law is good. The law, its real purpose is to, to, to teach us our need for Jesus. We, we can't keep the law no matter how hard we try. But it's still true. But again, if I wrote you a letter, Jason, and I said something in it uh, to you, somebody else couldn't read that letter and take what I said to you and apply it in their lives. Why? Because it was personal. I was writing it to you. So when God gives the law to Israel, he doesn't give the law to Gentiles. He doesn't give the law to New Testament Christians. He gives the law to Gentiles. The Sabbath is another example. The Sabbath was given not to you, not to me. Jesus was the fulfillment of the Sabbath. We enjoy the fullness of the promise. But the Sabbath law was true and applicable to Jews. So it's not that we follow some and reject others. We simply understand the context. You know, when we're told in the New Testament, Jason, to be workmen and or women rightly dividing the word of God, then we've got to rightly divide it. We've got to study it. We can't just take a Bible verse out of context and, and you know, just say, well, I don't agree with that. The minute you start doing that, you'll start throwing out some of the things in the New Testament. So I'm grateful that you believe the entire Bible is true, but learn how to study it. Learn how to study it, because it's all true. Every word, every period. But you have to really dig in and find out to whom the Holy Spirit is directing the instruction. So, I hope that makes sense. I think I understood your question, but it's all of it true, but some of it just wasn't written to us. So I hope that makes sense to you. Natalie wants to know, was Noah's flood a local or a worldwide flood? Uh, Natalie, a couple things. Let me refer you to the Bible study that I did last uh, Wednesday night. I will be continuing uh, the Bible study this Wednesday night. We're still in Genesis uh, chapter 7. We're going to do chapter 7 and 8 and maybe part of 9 um, this Wednesday. Uh, but over and over and over, the Bible goes out of its way to make it clear that this was a worldwide flood. And I even spoke last Wednesday night about how every culture in the world, every throughout history, has not... I'm talking secular history, not we're not talking about the Bible, but but they've got um, writings they've left behind that indicate that there was a worldwide flood. So if Noah's flood was only local, well then we missed the whole point of the passage. But over and over and over we're told that Noah's flood was a worldwide flood, and that's why nobody except. Noah and his family, eight people in all, were rescued from the flood. Very important that we understand that and apply it um, in our lives. Thank you very much. Here is a question from Stephanie uh, from our mobile app. How would you explain to a five-year-old about saints? Uh, examples, Teresa, St. Francis, St. Ignatius, etc. Uh, Stephanie, I really wouldn't explain to a five-year-old because um, the, the Catholic Church's concept of a saint is completely unbiblical. 
Um, it's true that Teresa was a saint and Francis was a saint and Ignatius was a saint if they were born-again believers. If they were born-again believers. Uh, but so too are you, Stephanie, a saint. And I'm a saint. You know, over and over in Paul's epistles, um, he writes to all the saints who are in Colossae or to all the saints who are in Ephesus. And the point that he's making is that we're all saints by becoming born-again believers. Now, the word saint means to be set apart. It doesn't mean as the Catholic Church has come to believe it means that we do miracles or that we are special saints elevated above others. That's simply not true. It's not biblical. So what I would do to a five-year-old is I would sit down and explain to him or to her that he or she is a saint. By believing in Jesus Christ, we become the saints of God, the set-apart for Jesus Christ. St. Paul, St. Teresa, St. Francis, St. Ron, I like that. So, Stephanie, I wouldn't explain to them at all about the Catholic concept of sainthood, not at all, because it is completely uh, wrong, completely unbiblical. Um, you're a saint, your child is a saint, and, and kind of teach them to enjoy that. You know, one of the things that we do in our culture, Stephanie, is, you know, we try to really, really appeal to the self-esteem of our kids. We want them to feel good about themselves. We give participation trophies to everybody. I don't think there's anything that would make them feel better about themselves and their value to God than to explain to them that by believing in Jesus Christ, by giving their heart to him, they are a saint. And I really and truly like that. So I hope you'll take that counsel, Stephanie. Thanks very much. Um, our next question. Let me see. Got a question from Kelly. Um, Pastor and I struggle with the tension between God's sovereignty and man's free will. Can you help? Um, yeah, Kelly, you know, I think that tension is man-made. Uh, I think we overthink these things because I personally don't see any tension at all between God's sovereignty and man's free will. If anything, the fact that we have free will makes God's sovereignty all the more remarkable because God works out and accomplishes his purpose in spite of our free will. That means, you want to talk about a powerful God? It means God takes even the things that we do in rebellion or in opposition to him and accomplishes his will. Satan is called a servant of God. No, not in the sense that you're a servant, Kelly, or I'm a servant. But if God can take the one who hates him the most, the most powerful and beautiful being he's ever created, and turn Satan into a servant, that's God's sovereignty overcoming, overwhelming the devil's free will. And the same thing is true for you and for me. I used my free will, Kelly, for the first 39 years of my life to rebel against God. And yet in his sovereignty, he got me to that place in February of 1991 where he knew I was going to become his. And that means he set his love upon me. And he never changed his mind. That's God's sovereignty. So I don't think there's any tension at all. We choose 
But God knows the choice we're going to make. And God accomplishes his will regardless of what our choice is. So when God says we have free will, he means it. It doesn't mean that he makes us do something because he knows what he's going to do, what we're going to do. It just means that he knows what he's going to do in spite of the choice that we're going to make. So I don't see any tension between me telling people to believe, accept Jesus into your heart, and then explaining to them that the minute they do that, God knows that they were always his, and he always knew this day would come. So I, again, Kelly, I just don't think there's any real tension there. Uh, my pastor used to say when we get to the, the gates of heaven, on the outside of the gate, it will say, enter of your own free will. And then when we get through the gate and look back at it from the other side, it will say, chosen by God. But I don't think there's any tension whatsoever in that at all. So I hope that helps, Kelly. Thank you very, very much. Here is a question from Zachary. Uh, Do you think there's any chance Judas is in heaven? The answer is no. Uh, Jesus told um, his disciples, speaking about Judas, and Judas was there. Uh, It would be better for the man who betrayed him that he had never been born. We're also told that Judas, when he, or Jesus, when he said to his disciples, have I not chosen 12 of you, and one of you is a devil? Judas was the one doomed to destruction before the foundation of the earth. Now, Kelly, if you're still listening, this is a good uh, a place to sort of measure the, the, your tension between free will and man's sovereignty. God knew Judas was going to betray him, But God didn't cause Judas to betray him. People say, well, why was Judas chosen to be the betrayer? Well, because God, who lives outside of time and space, knew exactly who was going to betray him. He even chose him knowing he was going to betray him. And in the betrayal, he fulfilled the scriptures that God wrote because of his foreknowledge. But Zachary, he was... A devil from the beginning, he was doomed to destruction. There is no chance, none whatsoever, that Judas will be in heaven. He has been in torment now for some 2,000-odd years, and it's only just beginning. It's only just beginning. Here's a question from Darren. He said, uh, I'm a young man, and no one really will listen to me in church. How can I correct some of the spiritual errors my pastor has? Darren, before I would, I would say, give you any counsel at all here, I'm going to say you need to humble yourself a little bit. Young men are quick to think they know everything, and they've got an idea in their head, and everybody that disagrees with them is wrong. And as a young person, um, sometimes we give ourselves way too much credit. Uh, If you have a pastor that, in your view, is spiritually wrong about things, then what you do is you go to him and talk to him. Now, go with an open heart, because I think you're probably going to learn some things, Darren. Um, The fact that you're young doesn't mean that you're wrong, but often the fact that you're young means that you haven't really thought through things. 
Now, God named your pastor the pastor of the church. He didn't name you. He hasn't given you the mission or the, the responsibility to correct the church. So go talk to your pastor respectfully and gently about some of the areas that you see some conflict. And don't do it in a challenging way. Just go to him and say, you know, I, you're, you're saying some things that I, I don't understand in light of my understanding. So can you help me with these things? And most pastors, I know I'm certainly um, willing to spend time with somebody who's asking honest questions. Uh, I'd sit down and show you where you're wrong, or if I turns out I was wrong, I would accept the correction. On the other hand, I'm not going to spend any time at all with a relatively new Christian or a young man or a young woman who hasn't been studying the Bible for 10 days, I'm using that metaphorically, let alone all the years I put into studying the Bible. Um, again, if they're polite, if they're honest, if they're asking questions, I'll take all the time they want. But if somebody just wants to correct me, it wasn't too long ago I had a man who was invited to church by uh, by somebody else, in the, uh, a neighbor of theirs who was a person who comes to our church all the time. And uh, he came up and he was sort of red-faced, you know, between services, and he introduced himself, and, and I welcomed him to the church, thanked him for coming, and he goes, well, I just have one question. When do we all speak in tongues? And uh, I said, well, we don't hear because that would be an error spiritually. And he was beside himself, and I wasn't going to change his mind, so I didn't even spend any time. I just told him, I said, look, if you really want to open the Bible and find out what the Bible says about this, then we'll do it. If not, why don't you just not come back? And see, had he taken a different approach, I would have been patient with him. I would have been very kind and loving toward him. Uh, but all he wanted to do was tell me how wrong I was and how much he knew. And the whole time, and I don't mean this with any kind of arrogance at all, but the whole time I'm thinking, uh, one of the things he said, you know, I've been asked to leave a lot of churches. And the whole time I've been thinking, well, maybe this is why you've been asked to leave churches. You know, I've been studying the Word of God for 29 years. How long have you been studying it? So I think it's important that you really consider the approach that you're going to take with your pastor. Here is an anonymous question. This is one of those questions that's dishonest. Uh, he or she says, how could a loving God send someone to hell for being in love with someone of the same sex? Um, anonymous, the first problem you have is challenging the love of God who sent his only son to die for the sins of the world. Now, God's foreknowledge, he knew you were going to ask this question. Now, this is really an accusing question. You're questioning the character of God. You're challenging the truth of God being a God of love. And I would answer you, first consider how much he loved you. He died for your sins. He died that you wouldn't be judged. He died so that we could spend forever in heaven with him. Now the question is, will you accept his love? 
You see, you can't understand a loving God until you accept his love. Now, as to your particular question, you know, you're talking about homosexuality. It's not loving for you to, without challenging, let somebody live a lifestyle, somebody you care about. You can't let them live a lifestyle that's going to result in them rejecting Jesus Christ. It's really important we get that. And for God who so loved the world that he gave his only son. This is a God you don't know, a God you need to know. One other comment here, Anonymous. God never sends anybody to hell. God simply honors the, que- the, the, the decision that we make in life. He honors that question in eternity. We're all going to live somewhere forever. It's that simple. We don't have a choice. We're going to live somewhere forever. We have to choose where it is. So I hope you make the right choice. Here is an anonymous caller to um, the program today. Where in the Bible, in Scripture, does it say how long Noah and his family was in the ark? Um, Caller, if you will go to chapter 6, read the account of Noah, and if you will add the days, now you've got to go all the way through chapter 7 and 8, or the first part of chapter 8, and all you have to do is add up the days. Um, where they were in the ark, that's all. So just add up the days, and God's very specific about it. When I brought this up yesterday, I said that that Noah was in the ark. Once God sealed him and he was in the ark for 377 days, now that's a quarantine. And, you know, we've been in quarantine for six weeks. Um, but Noah, when he came out, Imagine how frightened he was, how nervous he was, because he had no earthly idea of what to expect when he got out there. But just add the days um, when he went into the ark, when he came out of the ark, uh, the days of rain and the the details are all there in chapters uh, 6 through chapter 8. Thank you for the question. I appreciate it very, very much. Um, normally we don't think of it it's certainly not important but but yesterday just thinking um, 377 days before he got out of that ark uh, I thought that was significant uh, as it related to the message that I was giving yesterday okay we're inside our final five minutes this half has really flown by Uh, Lawrence asked this question I know Jesus was sinless but how do we reconcile him continually breaking the Sabbath law with his being sinless? Well, Lawrence, Jesus made the uh, point that the Jewish leaders who were so intent, remember they were always trying to trap him on the Sabbath. They, they put the man in the Gospel of Luke, the man with a shriveled hand in front of him, because um, they knew he would heal him. They, they would follow him, have, have spies out following him, because he knew... Uh, they knew that he was going to heal people on the Sabbath. And Jesus said to them, uh, and I'm going to paraphrase to make it really easy to understand for us. Jesus said to them, you only think you're keeping the Sabbath. Remember when he told them, he said, you know, you keep, uh, you, you strain gnats, you you won't let gnats fly in, you'll, you'll do all those little minutia things but you neglect the weightier matters of the law, and of course he's referring to love. 
And then he told him, he said, your problem is the way you view the Sabbath. He said, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And they had it completely backwards. They really and truly believed, Lawrence, that if they could keep the Sabbath law one whole Sabbath day without any violation, that the Christ and the Messiah would come. And Jesus said, that's impossible because you misunderstood the Sabbath altogether. I've told this story before, but since we got inside of three minutes, I don't have time for another question. I'll tell it again. Uh, Paul and I were at a, a conference and we're staying in a hotel in Orange County, California, and it was on one of the Jewish feasts. And uh, the, 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 the hotel was overrun with Orthodox Jews. And um, um, they were doing all this thing. I went out one day to get out, to, to go down the elevator. And there was a whole bunch of Jews, uh, because it was the Sabbath, there was a whole bunch of Jews waiting to go down the elevator. And they were just outside, so I was standing there, and I knew what was going on, so I didn't reach to it. And so they asked me very nicely if I would push the button, because it would violate Shabbat. And so I pushed the button and got all the way back into the elevator. And uh, when we got down, um, uh, they said, well, you have to push it again. Um, You see, that's a complete misunderstanding of the Sabbath. That's a bad interpretation provided by man. Jesus said, no, I've come to demonstrate what real rest is. And uh, so he wasn't breaking the Sabbath law. That would have been a violation. That would have been a sin. Um, but he, he, he was only breaking the wrong interpretation of the Sabbath, Lawrence. But he wasn't really breaking the Sabbath. If you really want to study the Sabbath, uh, Hebrews chapter 4, Jesus is our Sabbath rest, and we don't need any more than that. So he, you can rest assured, he was without sin. He who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. So, Lawrence, I hope that helps. Jesus never violated not the letter nor the spirit of the law. And uh, that was sort of his whole motive behind the Sermon on the Mount. He says, you misunderstand the law so much. Let me tell you what it really is all about. You have heard that it was said, Thou shalt not commit adultery, but I say unto you, and he goes behind the, the, the letter of the law to the spirit of the law, which, of course, every time we read the Sermon on the Mount, we're all busted. I mean, we're so aware of our own sin that we know we need Jesus' help. Hey, thanks for tuning in today. A quick reminder, Monday night Bible study for men and women tonight. Pastor Ken will be teaching it right here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Uh, This has been the word to stand on for life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel. Um, This has been program and honor to do it. May the Lord bless you and keep you. I'll see you tomorrow at 4 o'clock. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio.